Okay, well, Merry Christmas as we continue through the octave to everybody, and it's great to always see that such a, a full daily Mass here. It's wonderful that we can gather together and, and offer the Holy Eucharist together on the weekdays. Uh, I'm going to focus on our first reading from St. John. Of course, there's so much richness in all the scriptures that we've heard today and that we always hear. And in our first reading, there's so much richness. I'm going to hone in on one little line because it's got a lot of history behind it and a lot of importance in our interpretive tradition. And it is the following. Do not love the things of the world. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the uh, sensual lust, enticement for the eyes, and a pretentious life is not from the Father but from the world. And those who serve such things... Uh, will not uh, not endure forever, but they'll pass away. Um, this is referred to in our tradition. Now, I, well, I just I gave a homily, and I used this word recently in Newark, and people came up to me afterwards. I've never heard that word before. What is that word? I said, well, you know, this part of, it's a kind of an important part of our tradition, and I joke around. You know, if you want to impress your friends, use these big words. So, the word is concupiscence. Concupiscence. It's a very important word actually in our tradition to understand what what it is. It's when Basically, the, the lower powers of the human person and the higher powers are disordered. They're not in a proper hierarchical order. So there's a kind of an imbalance, and that's really the source of sin. Okay, So that's what we refer to, concupiscence. And if you, one way to remember it is you think of a, a Cupid, you know, the little fat baby that flies around and he puts the arrows in lovers' hearts, you know? So Cupid has to do with love, right? So concupiscence, Cupid, it's like uh, an imbalanced love, an attachment to certain things, okay? So that's that's part of what's what concupiscence is all about. Um, so in our tradition, we refer to this, this passage here, we refer to it as the, as the triple concupiscence. And so if anybody has a catechism of the Catholic Church, you can go into the index and look this up, okay? So the triple concupiscence. It's uh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Okay, our translations kind of translates the ideas more than the literal words. So if you were to translate the literal words, you would it would be the concupiscence of the flesh, the concupiscence of the eyes, and the pride of life. That would be a very literal translation. So uh, these three concupiscences also are a way of talking about what we call in our tradition the seven deadly vices. Okay, so the lust of the flesh or the concupiscence of the flesh has to do with these two kind of primary survival instincts that we have as animals uh, that have to do with reproduction and feeding ourselves. Okay, so uh, basically you've got um, sexual lust and you've got gluttony. Okay, so that's the lust of the flesh or the concupiscence of the flesh, and those are the two vices: is uh, is the, the the sexual lust and then uh, um, gr- um, Gluttony, okay? So an imbalanced approach to those two things, okay? Not that eating's bad or reproduction's bad, of course, but you can have an imbalanced approach to those things, and, and that's what is expressed by this idea of the concupiscence of the flesh. Then there's the concupiscence of the eyes, and that has to do with what we call, again, one of the vices of, of we call it avarice or greed. It has to do with material goods, okay? So material goods, you want the big car, you know, you want the, I think of the wrappers, you know, that wear all the golds. That's what, <laughs> you know, they, and they, they call it the bling, you know, the bling. That's like the, the, the lust of the eyes. It's like, wow, whoa, cool. Look at, it's all the, the glitter and the glam, you know, that, uh, 
we see in Hollywood especially and all that. Closely related to that is, is, the, con- is the pride of life. And uh, the pride of life is, uh, it has to do with four, there's four sub-vices to it, and that is vainglory, uh, envy, okay, um, anger, and then uh, finally what's called sloth, okay, another another technical term for it is acedia. Basically, acedia or sloth is, it's essentially... <sighs> The spiritual life takes a lot of effort and work, okay? And so the vice of sloth basically looks at the work that the spiritual life and the moral life takes and says, oh, I don't want to do that. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So it's not just laziness in general, you know, like I don't want to get up and go to work today. It's not exactly that. But it's really, it's laziness in relation to the work that the spiritual life takes, which is a very difficult work because it's not a physical work per se, although it can involve a physical work, you know, but it has to do with an interior work, which is very, very hard work. And actually psychologists, modern psychology really affirms this as well. You know, psychologists will, will basically say a lot of the problem, psychological problems stem from a lack of Basically, the person doesn't really want to look at themselves because it actually takes a lot of work to actually kind of like be honest with yourself, look at yourself, and reform yourself. Uh, and so that's that's the cause of a lot of problems. So that's the vice of sloth. And then you've got envy. Envy is basically, you know, you look at the good things, whether these things are natural or supernatural, that your neighbor has, and it makes you feel sad. Oh. I don't like the fact that that person has this thing, you know, whatever it is. They're good looking, or they've got more money than me, or they've got a nice family, or the spiritual goods. You know, this person is a better person than me, morally speaking, and I I don't like that. It makes me sad. So the opposite of envy is when you can see the good things in your neighbor and say, you know what, this is, there's no competition here. You know, those good things are, are of benefit to me as well, and so I rejoice in them together. Um, so that's that's the opposite of envy. But then you've got anger, of course, and then anger it's it's uh anger has to do with the pride of life because it's sort of like, you know, you think that you are God Almighty and uh, the judge of what is just and unjust, and then you look at something that you deem to be unjust and you get all riled up about it and you know, angry about it. So that's that's anger. I know in Syrac it talks about, you know, essentially isn't it sad that human beings think that they can, they have the right to get angry because we're, we're nothing. We're nothing. And in true humility, we would regard ourselves as not important enough, you know, to get angry about anything. Uh, and then you have vainglory. And vainglory is essentially a kind of an inordinate, unhealthy, unbalanced attachment to one's own excellence, but specifically one's own excellence and the desire to display that excellence. So again, the bling, you know. And whatever else we like to, to kind of show off and display, whether that could be intellectual learning as well too. Okay, if you if you think you're a really smart dude, you know, and you want to show off your wisdom, like you know, use big words like concupiscence and all that kind of stuff, <laughs> you know. So so that's uh, that that kind of vainglory can really pertain to almost anything. Now, in contrast to all of these vices and the triple concupiscence, I think of the baby Jesus. Okay. And uh, you've got the baby Jesus who's born into total poverty. So there isn't 
you know, the, the pride, uh, the lust of the eyes. He doesn't come into the world, you know, covered with bling. He, co- he comes into the world with swaddling cloths, you know. And he's in total poverty. And uh, he's a little child, so, and, and, you know, what can he, he's probably, they don't have much to eat, so, you know, lust and gluttony are far from consideration of, of the infant Christ. And, uh, and the pride of life as well it has is mortified, is completely crucified in him. Uh, you know, there, there's no envy, there's no laziness. I mean, the, the I think of the actually physical hard work that Joseph and Mary had to go through is quite extensive, a very long travel that they had to do. She's pregnant. And, uh, you know, it probably wasn't exactly, you know, California-style weather that cold night in Bethlehem. It would have been very, very uncomfortable. And I'm sure that there was they were near animals and they had hay, so there was some warmth. But, it, you know, it was, a, it was a pretty tough night to pass that night, that Christmas night. But more than that, it was Joseph and Mary were such hard workers when it comes to the spiritual life. They were always, they never took a break spiritually. They were always on 100% and very, very sharp spiritually. Always, always having the fear of God before their minds. Always contemplating spiritual things. Always putting spiritual things first before natural things. And so they were very hard workers. Uh, and then of course, you know, Christ himself of course, the exemplar of all of those virtues. The other interesting thing that we see in our tradition, there's a, in, in a, starting in the Romantic time period in the 19th century, you start to see depictions of Jesus that are really cute and cuddly. He looks like a fat baby, and he's got the big eyes, and he's got all the baby proportions, you know, and it's really nice, it's cute, and it's endearing, and all that kind of stuff. But actually, if you look at the older traditions, and actually our statue here, and then out there also reflects that tradition, he doesn't really look like a cute little baby. His proportions are actually more adult-like. Okay, which is really, it's a very interesting phenomenon to study that whole tradition. And then some of these really old icons from the East, you have Mary holding Jesus. He looks like a little man. He doesn't look like a cute baby. His head is small. His eyes are, he's got like man proportions, adult proportions, but he's just, he's smaller. So, you know, in addition to being small and weak and helpless and needing the defense of Joseph and Mary... He's not even cute. You know? I mean, <laughs> he's not even cute. He doesn't even have that to his credit. So we see in the in the Christ child this total divestment of all of these things that drive human beings and drive us and lead us astray. So let's let's ask for that great humility and poverty uh, of the Christ child and that mortification, that crucifixion that we see in the Christ child himself, that it would be in us so that the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life would not dominate us, would not reign in our hearts, but rather the Christ child would be born in us and reign in us.